Speak to us, Lord. We remember last year's fast night service like yesterday. Time has passed. We are here at the verge of a new year. With you, always gets better. With you, the best is always kept for the end. With you, the latter end is better than the former. With you, the glory of the latter house is greater than the former. That's why, Lord, we look with expectation every year. Not because of anything we have done, but because of who you are. We look forward to 2019. The battles may be fiercer, but the power is unlimited. All we pray, Lord, give us open ears to hear. Because if you do not hear, how can we obey? Give us believing hearts that when we hear, we believe. A will that is bent to you. A will that says, thy will and not my will. Because your word says, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the best of the land. So therefore, by faith, we look forward to 2019. The best waits ahead. Take us through, Lord. As we sang, we do not know. But our eyes are upon you. And our ears are tuned to your voice. Speak to us. Let everyone, even those who have come for the very first time, take something of you when they leave this place, Lord. We surrender ourselves, all our churches, all our pastors, all our dear brethren around the world, commit them all into thy hands, Lord. Some gathering in fear. Some gathering without fear. But we are one body, Lord, everywhere. May your presence, your protection, and your power rest upon all. Speak, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. When as we look to the word, some of you will, of course, hear much more clearer. Because the past six days, we've been fasting. We've been preparing for this evening, for this year. We've been learning how we prepare to walk with God, a closer walk with God, how to hear. The messages are on the, on the website. If you, if you haven't heard, I would, I would urge you to go back and listen. I mean, people who are not part of our church, who are far away, have been listening and been asking for this morning's message. Please send it. No, because God has been speaking to us, speaking to me, even as I preach, he's been speaking to me. So those of you who knew what was being planned, you prepared yourself. You took, some of you took real trouble because you probably didn't get leave, so you adjusted everything, but you were not willing to miss. You fasted, you afflicted your body, as the word says, you afflicted your soul, you prepared your heart, your mind, and I believe that today, this evening, God will speak to you even more. So this evening, the whole idea is, how do I walk with God even more closer? How do I learn from Jesus? 
Because he is the one who set an example for us. The example. If we can learn from Jesus, there is no better way to learn. So, I'll be going to one particular verse first, but before I go there, let me sum up this. 2,000 years ago, Jesus climbed a small hill and he spoke probably the greatest words ever spoken, which would change human history. The Gospel according to Matthew uses three chapters to record those verses. It is called the Sermon on the Mount. 101 verses encapsulate that sermon when he went up that mountain and he spoke. And life would never be the same again. The only comparison to that was probably hundreds of years earlier when God spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai and gave the law. When that event happened, history changed. And when Jesus spoke on the Sermon on the Mount, everything changed. It is the greatest exposition of the kingdom of God ever. Because the gospel we hear is the gospel of the kingdom of God. It is the invitation of God through his only son, Jesus Christ, to every man, woman and child to come into the kingdom. And the true prayer of every child of God is, Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The Sermon on the Mount gives the clearest, the most definitive picture of the kingdom of God. It explains to us what had happened through Moses on Mount Sinai, what the spirit of the law was. It tells you the precepts of the actual kingdom life. The practicing of a child of God, how you practice the kingdom life, the kingdom of God. Like I said, 101 verses, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So if it's 101, then the 51st verse would be the center of it. And interestingly, Matthew 6 and verse 33 is right bang in the middle, the core of what he was trying to tell us. This is how you practice the kingdom. And it says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you, including the coffee and the snacks. All these things. Okay. Because that's what the average man lives for. What to eat, what to drink, what to wear about this body. God says, you'd never have to worry about that. I'll take care of it. But there is something which I ask you to do. That is, Seek e first. Seek first. Everybody say first. First. Seek first. And when we look at Jesus when he walked on this earth before gospel, the incredible consistency in which he walked. And you would see, I, what amazes me is from the first two words, spoken words from his mouth, recorded, when he was sitting with people, first recorded words he is supposed to have said, which nobody knows, the angelic realm knows. Everything, the consistency, it is about the kingdom. The book of Hebrews says, when he came, he says, in the volume of the book, it is written about me. I have come, O Lord, to do thy will. So that was in the angelic realm. Then at the age of 12, he tells his earthly parents, 
Why were you worried? Am I not at my father's business? At the age of 30, when John says, you should be baptizing me and not me, you, he says, let us fulfill all righteousness. The consistency in which he sought his father's kingdom and his righteousness and always kept it first in his life. And then you see him walking through life and every need of his and every need of the disciples and every need of the crowds was met supernaturally by the father. He was never faced by the demands. He was never faced by the crowds. No demon faced him. No sickness stopped him because of the way he walked. And he was trying to tell us something. Children, that's the way you and I need to walk. Because his life sets a pattern for the rest of us. The question is, how do you and I align our spirit, our soul, our body to the will of God, the perfect will of God. How did he achieve it? How did he achieve it? How can you and I, that's what we were looking the past six days. And the secrets are there in the Sermon on the Mount. If you look at it, you will see the secrets are all there. Where he says, he doesn't say if, he says, when you give, when you pray, when you fast. These three things. People do it, but that's not what he said. He's when you give, in secret. When you pray, in secret. When you fast, in secret. And your father who sees you in secret. He says there's a secret place. Everybody's life, every child of God's life, there has to be this definitive secret part which nobody knows, only God and you. And that's the safe place, the psalmist will say, I've hidden myself in that secret place. That's that secret place. He had that secret life. His life was defined. If you ask, couldn't Jesus being God done everything he did without going through that? Maybe yes. Then why did he pray so much? Why did he fast so much? Why did he give all his entire life over? He was teaching us something. Very practical. Absolutely practical. Simple, practical, which will affect our spiritual life. How do you keep God first? That's what he was saying. Seek you first. The kingdom of God. How do we consistently seek God first? And keep the kingdom first. And his righteousness first. Like I said, Six mornings, we saw it, Pastor Vijay, on Sunday also was sum, summing up. So you have six days of teaching, but it is here. Let me go to the next text where it talks about in John 1.16, how Jesus came. This is what he says. Of his fullness, we have all received grace for grace. This is how Jesus came. Do you know why we all were blessed and still being blessed? Because Jesus came full of grace. Absolute, full of grace. Grace is the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God, the provision of God. Everything is encapsulated in one word in the Bible, grace. That's where God says, it doesn't matter what you go through life, my grace is sufficient for thee. And this is how he came, grace upon grace, full of grace. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, will talk about Jesus, full of grace, full of truth. Grace upon grace, law came through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus. What kept him close to God? What kept him in the center of his will? What kept him to walk 
putting God first, his kingdom first, his righteousness first, was because he was full of grace. And if that is true, then we need to say, Lord, I want grace. And you get it in Grace Tabernacle. But how do we get it? How does any man, woman, child get grace? God has shown his way how you get. In James chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, scripture says, But he gives more grace. Therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So, a rider, we say in English, is put over there. He gives you more grace, but he resists the proud. He doesn't give grace to the proud. He gives grace only to the humble. It's not only that God does not give grace to the proud. He resists them. So you're caught in a double trap. Not only is God resisting the proud, he also won't give them grace. And without grace, spiritually we will be absolute flops. Absolute flops. Therefore, scripture says, submit to God. Humble yourself before God. Resist the devil and you will be able to flee. He says, if you don't have grace... You will not be able to resist the devil. And he's walking all over you. You can stand and sing as much as you want. Satan is under my feet. He's actually sitting on your head. So understand, scripture says he gives grace to the humble. In First Peter chapter 5, again another apostle through the Holy Spirit says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you, be submissive to one another. Be clothed with humility. For God resist the proud. This is in the Old Testament, twice repeated in the New Covenant. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then scripture says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. So if God gave Jesus unlimited supply of grace, he must have been unbelievably humble. That's why he tells us first, learn of me. I am meek and lowly. The first thing Jesus tells us is, learn of me. I'm incredibly humble. And God gives grace to the humble. Do you know why I walk like that? Not because I was special, but because I was humble. And God gives grace to the humble. And he says, grace is all you need to overcome every test in life. Learn of me. The question is, okay, I want to learn of him. But how do I be like that? The past six days we learned. Fasting is a humbling of yourself. A humbling of your body. An affliction of your soul. You humble yourself before God. But remember, it is not any fasting. Or any prayer. Or any giving. The humbling part is consistently having a secret life where you consistently fast. Nobody knows, maybe you're, if you're unmarried, your mother or your wife, but nobody knows. Your consistent secret prayer life, which maybe your wife also doesn't know. And have a consistent giving life. That's how you humble yourself. When you are doing that, scripture says, your life becomes a living sacrifice. Because I cannot fast without sacrificing at least one meal. I cannot pray consistently 
without sacrificing some part of my life each day, my time. And I cannot give unless I sacrifice something out of my own resources. And there is sacrifice. And God has called us to be living sacrifices. All three. Fasting, prayer, and giving has to be sacrificial. That becomes a threefold cord which Solomon will say cannot be broken. The question is, why does Jesus combine all these three? We heard enough of fasting. We heard enough of praying past six days. This evening, I want to talk about that primary cord, the third cord. They say, if you look at that threefold cord, you will see one cord goes through the middle. The other two is wrapped around it. The middle cord in this is giving, not fasting or praying. It is giving. Now, I'm not asking for your money. I'm asking for more than that. I'm asking for your life for Jesus. Your life for Jesus. Why giving is in the center and that will define everybody's life is because Jesus talks about the nature of it. In Matthew 6 and verse 24, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. You cannot. If you have two masters, you will give to one and you will keep from the other. It is impossible to serve two masters. For either we'll hate one and love the other or else you'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. And he says, you cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot. If God says you cannot, he doesn't say you should not, you may not, you will not. He says you cannot. It's impossible. When God says something is impossible, don't even try it. It is impossible. It's impossible. You see, it is easy to give up food and time in prayer than to give my lordship over my money. It's not difficult to give food. It's not difficult to give time. It's very difficult to give lordship over money. Mammon was a pagan god of money, of gain, of gain. A lot of people who fast in every religion, who fast and pray, they fast and pray religiously for gain. They fast and pray for gain. So you can fast. You can pray for more gain. Not to give, but to get. I can specifically give up, sacrificially give up my meals, my time in prayer, and yet has mammon controlling my life. And then look, because why I'm with you, I want 2019 to be different for all your children, every one of you. Unlike any year before. In Luke 18, verses 11 to 12, you will see here, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. He's not praying to God. He's praying to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. You know how other men are? They're extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as his tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pray, I fast, and I give tithes. All I possess. He fasts, he prays, he gives. But Jesus says, he went out from that place condemned. We're out of that place condemned. 
fasting, praying, giving. But at the core is self and not God. He's praying to himself. He's not praying to God. He's kept his, his, his life to himself and not to God. In Luke 16 and verse 14, Jesus said something about these set of people who are very religious in their fasting, in their praying, and incredibly punctual about their tithing. He said, the Pharisees were lovers of money. They loved mammon. They loved mammon. They loved gain. They loved reputation. In Luke 11 verse 43, he said, Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. The only church in the city, as far as I understand, where the Pharisee won't sit in the front is this church, because you know the sermon never finishes. So he sits very close to the door and slings away. But otherwise, Pharisees prefer the best seat everywhere, because he sees gain. His entire religion of fasting and praying and giving is based on gain. Based on gain. So we can fast and be proud. We can pray and be proud. We can tithe and be proud. And God says, no grace. I resist the proud. This entire three and a half years of ministry, you see Jesus resisting one set of people. They were the most religious, the Pharisees, the who fasted, who prayed, and religiously tithed. He resisted them because he knew his father and the spirit of his father in him was resisting them because they were proud. Yet the tax collector was humble. He received grace and went. Okay. So we have to look into the core. What are we fasting for? What are we praying for? Are we fasting and praying for a breakthrough which brings gain to me? Or am I fasting and praying for a breakthrough which brings gain to God? We looked at Ezra. Ezra's fast. We looked in the first day or second day. Three day fast. They have been allowed by the king to go back. The remnant to go back to Babylon. Take all these tons of gold. Build your God's temple. Go, he said. But they were ashamed to ask the king for protection. They are there going. Their children. Everybody on a thousand mile journey with so much wealth. Not to build their homes. But to build God's temple. And they say, oh Lord, protect us. They fasted and prayed. Because in their heart was not their life. It was the name and the reputation of God. When Israel's life was at stake and a Haman, Agakite, had risen to destroy Israel, Esther, who was queen, with all her handmaidens, asked Mordecai, asked all the Jews in this land to join me on a three-day fast. For what? For God's people. God showed her favor. When Israel, a leader has risen, Samuel has risen, Philistines are attacking. When Samuel calls for a fast, what is for? He says, Lord, they are mourning because they miss you. Repent, turn back. Let us turn back to God and proclaim a fast so that we don't run before our enemies. Our enemies run before us. Every one of the fasts in the Bible which God Highlights in the old covenant or the new covenant, you will see at the core, nobody was selfish. They were not looking for gain. 
personal gain. They were looking at God, his kingdom and his people. They had humbled themselves. So the question is, how do we do it? We want it very practical, simple, practical. How do we do it? How do I break this yoke of self and learn to imitate this? Lord, I want to fast. Because I hear it's very powerful. But I don't want to fast for myself. Lord, I want to pray. I want to, but I want to pray and break self. I want to give and I don't want to give to be, to get. No. Because Lord, I want to seek your kingdom first. So let me take a little shift so that we understand what does God mean. First thing I want to talk to you about in terms of this is the principle of redemption. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 13 and let's read from verse 11 to 16. And it shall be, okay, it shall, they are going to leave, leaving Egypt, not yet left. The midnight is almost over. Remember the first watch night service in human history by was the Jewish people when they were leaving Egypt and going into the promised land. They had their first watch night service and they left at midnight. That is from where watch night services come. Know our history. We are just following them pattern. They left bondage and moved into a new life. We also were brought out of captivity. But this is what God says. It shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of Canaanites and he swore to you and your fathers and gives it to you that you shall separate, set apart to the Lord all that open the womb. That is every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have. The male shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. But if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And all the firstborn of a man among your sons, you shall redeem. So it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, what is this? That you shall say to him, by the strength of the hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. Okay, yeah. And it shall come to pass when the Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man, the firstborn of beast. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a sign on your hand and the frontlets between your eyes, for by strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. It's an incredibly strange command which is given to the first generation, so it shall always continue. And when your children ask, why is this? You shall explain to them. Dad, what is this? Dad, what is this? And he will say, this is to tell you that God redeemed us by giving his firstborn for our sake. How were we redeemed? We were redeemed because God gave his firstborn. That's why Jesus said, until I come, every time you gather, especially for us on the first Sunday, we have the table. What are we celebrating? That he gave his firstborn for us. Many little ones ask, what is that little bread you are eating and not giving me? What is that wine you drink and you don't give me? You must tell them, we were once slaves to sin and the devil. And the Lord redeemed us. With the blood of his firstborn. In Colossians 1 and verse 15 says. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn. The firstborn. 
the firstborn. On the other hand, that chapter in Exodus 13, in verse 13 says, on the other hand, every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. I don't want the donkeys. If a donkey gives birth, the firstborn, don't bring that firstborn to me. Instead, redeem it with a lamb. And if that person has no lamb to redeem and doesn't want to redeem it with a lamb, then what do you do? Break its neck. Strange in the middle of it. Because a donkey represents the flesh. All of us, when we were unsaved, stubborn, self-willed people. It is the old man. There were only two choices. Either redeem the man with a lamb, or if you refuse to be redeemed, break his neck. That's the fate of every man. If you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and your life is not redeemed by the firstborn of God, one day your neck will be broken. There's no way out. That's the picture in the house of the father of believers. Two sons. One son of flesh, the other the son of the spirit. And about the son of the flesh, the NIV version puts it this way. About Ishmael, he will be a wild donkey. His hand will, he will not not listen to anybody. He won't listen to anybody. Everybody's hand. That is the nature of the old man. Wasn't listened to anybody. Even if he listened to anybody, it is only because he likes what he's hearing. If he doesn't like what he's hearing, he doesn't. So somebody has to get him to do something. You have to tell it the way he likes it and what he likes. Otherwise, he will not. That is Ishmael, wild donkey of a man. So God says, humanity has only two choices. Either you are redeemed by the firstborn of God, or ultimately you will be destroyed. So Isaac will bow down to the will of his father. Ishmael will not. So Ishmael has to be thrown out. You see the same paradigm thing happening over there. The same thing happening over there. The first king of Israel is Saul. And it's a keeper of donkeys. A stubborn, willful man who refused to obey God. So he's destroyed at the end. And another man is there whose name is David, the second king, who is a keeper of sheep. Who will bend his will to the will of God. And you see this redemption story thousands of years later. Playing out on the streets of Jerusalem. Very clearly Jesus says, his disciples, hey come here. Go to this place. And you will see the young one of a donkey tied here. Nobody has ridden on it yet. And if somebody asks you why are you untying it, tell them the master needs it. And here is this incredible entry into Jerusalem. Jesus sitting on the fall, the cult of a donkey, symbolizing to the world, the stubborn will be broken and he will allow the Lord to carry him. The donkey spirit in us needs to be broken. It is the Lamb of God redeeming us so that our necks don't have to be broken. And only the redeemed can be used for the Master's glory. That's why the donkey is carrying the lamb. It's an incredible picture in the spiritual realm. The donkey is carrying the lamb. While in the old covenant, the lamb was supposed to carry the donkey. We are donkeys. When we allow the Lordship of Jesus Christ into our lives, he says, you shall bear my glory. 
We prayed for glory today. He says, you shall bear my glory. You're missing the actual point. This is the principle of first. Only the firstborn could be redeemed. He says, every firstborn of every animal you have, not the second, not the third, not the fourth, only the firstborn shall be redeemed. So when God redeemed us, he redeemed us with his firstborn. Only the firstborn. It's interesting, right? When you understand what God is trying to teach us, how to seek the kingdom first. Through the old covenant, the pictures pass. It plays out in the very beginning of creation. The first instance when two people come to God in the act of giving. One's offering is accepted, the other's is rejected. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4, scripture says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained a witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, still speaks. He says, the only thing that separated Abel's and Cain's sacrifice, which Abel's made was acceptable to God, was he offered it by faith. Let's leave the blood part apart. We have heard it, you know. But let's look at the core part today from Genesis chapter 3. Sorry, chapter 4. In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought out of the firstborn of his flock. That's why his gift was accepted. Cain should have brought his first fruits. He didn't bring his first fruits. He brought an offering. Abel brought a firstborn from his flock and offered it to God and God I receive it I receive it you're giving me the firstborn of your flock it never says Cain brought the first fruits why is it you can only give the firstborn by faith why is it I cannot give the secondborn by faith When you have a firstborn, let us say the firstborn son, your first son is born, or your calf, your cow gives the first calf, your sheep gives the first lamb, only that one you can give by lamb because you have no assurance your wife will have another child. Your cow will calf again. Your sheep will give another lamb. You have no clue. So only the first one can be given by faith. If you keep the first one and offer the second one, it is sight. It is no faith there. You have already kept one for yourself. That is why only the firstborn could be given by faith. And scripture says it very clearly, Abel brought the firstborn by faith. By faith. Cannot give the second or the third by faith. It takes first faith. To give the first one. Not the second one. Or the third one. Or the last one. Abel by faith gave the firstborn. When God says seek ye first. And we had last year's promise. One thing I seek. All these are just emotional statements. If they are not real. And absolutely practical. And provable. That what we gave was first. God says, bring your tithes. 
That is one-tenth under the law to the house of God. But let me tell you about giving. The most important part of giving our tithes is not that it is 10% of our income. It is acceptable to God only if it is the first 10% of the income. That's the only income that you give by faith. Not after you paid all your bills. God says there's no faith in it. Anybody can do that. When you come to me, you come by faith. You got 30,000 rupees, your expenses are not rent and not made and not fees and not groceries and then thank you Lord, I got 3,000 here, I will come and give it to you. God says it's not acceptable. It doesn't please me at all. Because there's no faith in that. Anybody can give the second lamb. Anybody can give the third lamb. Anybody can give the fourth one. But only by faith you can give the first one. It's a principle of first. That's how you keep God first. As long as it is not the first tenth, we have not, we have given, but we have not given by faith. And I know some of you, 30th, I see text is gone into the church account. Comes, comes immediately. I'm not asking you to put it that way. You can put it whichever way, but I'm saying practice this year. I'm going to step out in faith, Lord. I have given faithfully one-tenth all this year. God says, from which part? I said, give by faith. I didn't say give. I said, without faith, it is impossible to please God. You want to please me? Trust me. Test me. Give me from the top. Don't give me from the bottom. I am first in your life. Not second. Not third. Not fourth. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. It is possible to keep the letter of the law and entirely break its spirit. And God's kingdom simply doesn't work like that. Tithing was simply the principle God gave Israel about putting him first. He didn't want their money, but he wanted them to put him first by faith. Bring your firstborn. Bring your first fruits. Bring your first ten. Achan, when they entered into the promised land, was not destroyed because they took gold, but he took it from the first portion that was set apart from, from our God. The first city, God said, belongs to me. All the others you can take. That's mine. Don't touch it. He died because he touched what belonged to God. Not because he stole gold. Not because he took gold. He died because he took gold that belongs to God. When we give the first portion, the rest is redeemed. Redeemed. Apply this in your life. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 35, an incredibly busy day for Jesus. He knows the whole day stretched forward, full of ministry, preaching, teaching, healing, deliverance. Scripture says, now in the morning, having risen long while before daylight, he went out, departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. You want to pray by faith, you have to give the first portion of your day. Not the worst portion, not just before you're nodding and going to sleep. No, the first portion of your day, you say, Lord, by faith, I give it to you. I know the rest of my day is redeemed. And I can do everything in the rest of the time that is given. I'm giving you the best. This is the best time I have. 
And if my day is full and my process demands so much, I promise you, Lord, I am going to wake up earlier than yesterday and still give you my best. You can be very sure, Lord, I am seeking you first. No man may see it, but Lord, I want you to see my heart. I am seeking you first. In 2019, Lord, I seek you first. I'm not giving you the middle of my day. I'm not giving you the third quarter of my day. I am not going to give you the fourth quarter of the day. I'm giving, going to give you first the best part, the beginning. And then I may add you all through the day too, but I will not keep the best from you. Because selfishness is in the core of the old man. And selflessness is at the core of the Christ in the new man. One must be driven out. And the other should be allowed to grow. Because much of the preaching on giving is based on getting. Which breeds even more covetousness. Give and you will get it this much. Where is sacrifice in that? Where is putting God first that? Your entire motive you generate in your hearers is even more covetousness. That's not what God is talking about. The revelation of God's heart is not about getting. It's about giving. Because God is a giver. And he wants his children to be like him. The whole spirit of the law was tuned to make us like God. Everything in the law. They had something called the seventh year. In the seventh year, every debt had to be cancelled. Imagine, you have that law in India. On the seventh year, every farmer's loan is cancelled. Farmers wouldn't commit suicide. They would live. Because under God's law, they would prosper. Cancel. You don't have to pay. You don't have to pay. Everything is cancelled. Six was the number of man. Seven is the number of God. So God says on the seventh year, doesn't matter how much he borrowed from you. Cancel it all. Cancel it all. You're a giver. You're like your father in heaven. Don't worry about it. Cancel it. Let it go. Deuteronomy 15 and verse 1, God says, at the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release of debts. Release it. You're released from a debt. You don't have to give. God did not create giving for his sake, but he created giving for my sake so that I would become like him. You and I would become like him. It is by giving selflessly we keep him first. But he said, when you cancel these gifts, these debts, have my heart. Don't make it legal. A law, bound by the law, have my heart. In Deuteronomy 15, verse 10 says, beware there be a wicked thought in your heart. Oh, the seventh year, the year of release is at hand, and your eye be evil against your poor brother. Don't think that way. That is your thought. Oh, I am under the law. What can I do? The law of the land is I have to cancel the gift. And I'm so angry with all the people who borrowed from me. Don't do that, he said. I'm not. When I cancel, when you come and say, Father, I am sorry when I cancel your debts. I, am, I don't look at you with a wicked eye. I cancel all your debts. Not only that, you give him nothing. He cry out to the Lord against you and it becomes sin among you. He says, don't do that. 
He said, that's wickedness. Selfishness is wickedness. In 15.10, he says, you surely shall give to him and your heart should not be grieved. When he comes, you tell him, you're not able to pay for six years, no? Moshe? And Moshe says, no. I said, okay. Forget it. It's gone. Cancel. And he says, thank you, pastor. I said, wait a second. Before you gave. How many did you take, maybe? Uh, 10,000. Okay. Take 1,000. That's for you. If you cannot return, that means you're still hard up. Take 1,000 and go. Okay. That's what God is saying. Cancel the debt and let him give to him generously. Give to him. Give to him. Because for this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in all to which you put your hand because your father is a giver. He did not create giving because he needed money. He created giving so that we could become like him. Don't be a debt collector and a bone collector. God, he says, don't give it with a grieving heart. God loves a cheerful giver. And give generously. In verse 14, he will say, you shall supply him liberally from your flock, from your threshing floor, from your wine press, from what the Lord has blessed you with. Give it. God is not just telling, cancel his debts. He says, cancel what he owes you. On top of that, give him from what you have also. And you know what? You can do that only by faith. You cannot do it by sight. Why do you do it? Deuteronomy 15 verse 15 he will say, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore I command you this thing today. He says, remember this thing. Why do I tell you to give, forgive, cancel debts, give generously, because don't forget, you're the Lord your God when you were slaves, redeemed you by the blood of his own son. God didn't hold back when it came to our redemption. The Passover lamb was just a type. The real Passover lamb was Jesus. So he says, generously, without pain, not only gratefully, Thank you, Lord. I have an opportunity to cancel somebody's debts. Thank you, Lord. On top of that, I have an opportunity to bless him too. Because when I look, who am I? You didn't just say, okay, you repented. Go. I forgive you. He said, no. As many as who received him, he gave them the power to be the sons and daughters of the living God. You didn't just forgive me and cancel my debt. You gave me generously your spirit and made me your son. He says, in your walk, in your life, reflect that so that I will know you're seeking my kingdom and me first. In everyday life. It's not your or my giving that brings the blessing. It is the faith. It is by faith. Only you can give your first. It is only by faith you can cancel a debt. It is only by faith you can be generous to the one whose debt has been cancelled. And you are not grieving over it. Over your loss. You have no wicked thought in your heart. On the other hand, you are cheerful 
and you are grateful. That spiritual concept when you practice is that breaks the yoke. That's what breaks the yoke. In Exodus 23 and verse 19, God says, the first of the first fruits of your land, this is all given there, we don't have land, we don't have crops, so apply it to your own life beyond money. Look at your time, look at your prayer life, look at all these things and say, Lord, 2019, I want my life never be to be the same like before. The first of the first fruits of your land, you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat's milk. He says the first of the first fruits of your land, bring it to the house. It is brought to the house. It's mine. In Malachi 3.10, he says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. That's one of the reasons when on the first Sunday when people bring their tithes, I keep telling them, if you belong to another church, don't bring your, because it belongs to your church, not here. You put your offering, that's fine. Don't bring your tithe here. You cannot put, if you don't actually a member of GTC and you've been consistently between us for a period of time where you believe, believe this is your church, you can put your offering. You cannot put your tithe here. Because your tithe needs to go to his house. You have no lordship over your tithe. You cannot give it to any ministry you please. He says, no, that is mine. You have no lordship over it. He didn't say give. He said bring. When he says give, it's mine to give. When he says bring, it is his to me, give it back. It's, it's, I've got nothing to do with it. He's not saying give, he says bring. My tithes. That is his, not mine. That's not. He says bring because it is not ours. Lord of people play the fool with that first portion. Oh, I'm going to send it to Joyce Mayer. I'm going to Benny Hinn because when I'm watching his program, I fell. God says, you want to send your offering? Send your offering to him. But your tithes belong to whichever church you belong to. Wherever you regularly go, that's where your tithes. You don't have lordship over your tithes. God has lordship over. He has, I have no lordship over my tithes. It belongs to God and to his house. He says, bring. Because it's not mine, it is his. So when it comes to the first portion, there are only two options. Bring it or steal it. Bring it on. That's why Malachi 3.9 says, you're cursed with a curse. For you? Oh, so it was not an offering. It was his. He says, you robbed me. He says, you know why you're struggling in all the areas of your life? Because you stole from me. He says, don't steal from me. Don't steal from me. In the first city in the promised land, Jericho, in Joshua 6 and verse 19, Scripture says, All the silver and the gold, the vessels of the bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord, and they shall come into the treasury of the Lord. Don't take a thing from the first one, he says. They are all mine. Don't touch it. They are all mine. One guy touched it. Listen to what God tells about the man who took it. In Joshua 7, verses 11 and 12. Though it's one man who took it, God says Israel took it. Israel has sinned. And they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accursed things. have both. They have stolen. Israel stole my gold. Think about it. Israel stole my gold. Sabchore. They stole my gold.
I remember one pastor a long time ago saying, are there thieves in God's house? <laughs> he says, you have stolen what is mine. And therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies. Are you failing in every spiritual battle? You try to pray, you cannot pray. You try to fast, you cannot. You want to don't lose your temper. You lose it every day, three times a day regularly. Like Daniel prayed, you lose your temper. Everything God says you should not do, you do. He says, why are you running before your enemies? Because you have stolen from me. There is no grace in your life to overcome. Because you did not put me first. I told you to put me first. Why is this so important for God? Why is this so important for God? I don't want 2019 to be same like 2018 children. Because there is something called the spirit of the world as opposed to the spirit of God. In 1 Corinthians 2.12 scripture says, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. So there are two spirits operating. One is the spirit of God in us, the spirit of this world in others. But two spirits operating. The spirit of the world and the spirit of God. The spirit of the world is actually mammon. Mammon wants God's place in our lives. What does mammon promise? He promises, he flatters to deceive, but he promises almost everything God promises. He promises everything which only actually God can give. He promises our identity. He promises our security. He promises our significance. He promises us happiness. He promises us peace. He promises us love. Isn't it? Ask all these young men or young girls. The minute they like a girl, they buy new clothes and they want to impress her. Why? But that's what mammon promises. Mammon promises you love. Oh, if I had money, half my trouble would be over. Mammon promises you peace. Oh, I only wear this label. Mammon gives you your identity. Mammon is trying to replace God in our lives. My and your identity comes from God. Remember two Sundays back? The balloon and the rock? The identity of this world is like a balloon. When you have, it inflates. When you lose, you also come down. But if your identity is from God, nothing can change. Because it is not depending on the stock market or the mood swings of this world. It is dependent upon one fact. God is my king. God is my father. So it's very easy for you to be humble. You don't have to pretend to be humble because you want something from somebody. You're naturally humble. Why? Because you know who your father is. I still remember the day years ago in, 20 years ago in Bhutan, when the current king of Bhutan, then he was crown prince, when he knocked on the door of my class and said, Sir, can I please come to your class? And I looked at him. All the children were standing like this. Because that's what they're king. I looked at him. I looked at him. This is the king. But he knows his identity. Therefore, he can be very humble to an Indian teacher. Sir, can I please speak five minutes to the class? 
When you know your identity, who you are, and it doesn't come from money, it doesn't come from gain, it doesn't from, come from possessions, it doesn't come from things, it doesn't come from any achievement in the world, it is easy to be humble because your father is humble. And you know who you are. And mammon is constantly trying to replace God in our lives. Sadly, flatters to deceive. And you die miserably, never having understood who you really were. Look, look at 2018. How many celebrities died in 2018 of an overdose? Including two days back, 26-year-old young girl. Celebrities, all died. Flattered to deceive. While you have the history of God's servants and God's people dying for him, here you have people dying of overdoses. What a difference. So Jesus comes and turns the tables and says, no, only God can meet your need. Mammon cannot. Mammon will last. You cannot serve two masters, either God or mammon. Choose. And if it is God, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Everything you need in this earthly life shall be added. I will meet that need. You put me first. This will be taken care of in your life. Don't fall for the mammon. The lie of the mammon. That spirit can come anytime. It can come upon the money you hold. That is why it is called unrighteous mammon. That's why it's called unrighteous mammon. In Luke 6 and 9, Jesus says, I will ask you, no, no. 16 and verse 9. I asked you, make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He says, you need money in this world, you'll get money. But he says, be wise. Take that money and give and give and give and give. Then one day when you die, you will have a long line of people saying, Oh, brother, do you know you gave here and that money saved my soul. You gave here, that preacher came and preached to me. My child got saved. Whole set of people will say, Your mammon saved my soul. You will have a whole set of people that they will welcome you to everlasting home. Because you knew how to use mammon and keep the spirit under your feet and not on your head. He said, use mammon. Don't let mammon use you. That's how you seek him first. That is why God put that law in the old covenant. I want you first. I don't want you second. I don't want you third. I don't want you fourth. The first end. That you can only give by faith. The rest you can give by sight. After all your bills are paid, it's easy to pay the tithe. Anybody can pay. That doesn't make you a man who, or a woman who walks by faith. He says, no, a man or woman who walks by faith puts me at the top. Puts at me at the top of his day. Puts me at the top in everything he does. So I told you today, if you're fasting and you want to really fast, yes. Doctors in our midst will always say, if you want to fast, fast lunch or fast dinner. Breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Why? 
gives you strength to work the whole day. But if you walk by faith, you will say, Lord, breakfast is the most important meal of the day. That I give it to you. And your strength will sustain me through the rest of the day. Because you've already eaten breakfast and you're fasting lunch. Already your stomach is full. Okay, you've eaten breakfast and lunch. I'm going to skip dinner. That's more like dieting. Now God says, this is between you and me. Nobody has to know about it. Nobody has to know about it. You know what is first, what is second. You look into my eyes, look at what I gave you, and decide, do I deserve your best? When I gave you something, I gave you my first. I gave you my best. So you are giving your time, your talents, your treasure. God says, give it to me. You will see young people, not young people, you will see these old ones, forwards keep coming. They are now very old, but they are still singing glorious worship songs and they sing, singing. And yet you see young ones who are singing, they are Dressed or undressed, I am not sure. They they are crazy. They are on drug overdose. Yet this young one and that old one both learn to sing in church. Both learn to sing in church. One took the talent and put God at the bottom and gave it for the world. And the world took it. And before you know, they have died of an overdose. Well, the other one at 70, 80, still that magical voice and still singing to the Lord. Why? Because they put their talent and gave it to God. God says, where do you want to put me? He said, you put me at the top. I promise you, your life's needs will be taken care of by me, not by you. I'll take care of you. The first part belongs to God. Then comes that's the tithe. Then comes the offerings, the givings, everything. But the first part is the tithe. And over and above, God says, give. You want to fast two meals, fine. But at least make it a habit, a discipline. I'm not making any rule. I don't even want to know what you are fasting. It's between you and God. So there is offering. There is tithe, there is offering, then there is extravagant giving. Because now we have realized the joy of giving. You realize the real joy is in giving. You ask every parent. They wrap their gift and everything and all and they keep. Who is actually really thrilled? It's a parent who is watching the child's face. <gasps> Daddy, thank you so much. Two days later the child forgets. But that memory is etched in the parent's face. Oh. Oh, I remember. I remember. So who gets more joy? The giver than the receiver. God says, do you know the joy of giving? Do you know the joy of giving? Can you become ultimately, can I move you further? Please don't misunderstand me, okay? I'm not talking about money here. I'm talking about your life here. That you want to be an extravagant giver at the end of your life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul talks about a poor church. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. They are not rich churches. They are the poorest among the first century churches. That in great trial of affliction, 
the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty. How can this both abound? <laughs> what a contradiction. Abundance of joy, abundance of poverty. Jeep mein paisa nahi dil bara hua hai. Kya baat hai? Look at that. How did it abound? Abounded in the riches of their liberality. Poor church, very poor church. They heard, ah, this trouble in those churches. They said, what do we do? Okay, we will do one thing. We all will eat only one meal for the next two months. Or we'll cut off two meals. We have no money. But our brothers are suffering. We cannot eat three meals. Oh, are you, how many shirts do you have? Oh, I have only two. That's fine. One is enough. I'll wash it and wear it. I'll wash it in the night and hang it and wear it in the morning. But I'm definitely sending one. I bear witness according to their ability and beyond their ability. They were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of ministering to the city. They hadn't even seen these people. They said, please, please, Paul is saying. They said, could you take this? Please. They are our brethren. Please. And then, not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord. That is the reason. Why? They had given themselves first to God. Therefore, their hands were always open to keep giving because they did not keep any part of themselves from God. They had sought God first in their lives. So God made them like Him. He opened their hearts. You see what God is talking about? You know the story of Zacchaeus? When Jesus came in the joy of His salvation, He just opened up everything. He said, Take four times. The Lord doesn't say four times. He says, even more than that, I want to give. I'm not satisfied with that much also. Jesus, I'm so excited about this joy of giving. You gave me salvation. I want to give out just like that. Lord, half my wealth I sell to the poor and I'm giving it. I'm giving it. Do you see the hearts opening? What do you think in the day of Pentecost and subsequent weeks in Jerusalem? Pilgrims had come from all over the world. Hebrew pilgrims had come to Jerusalem for the festival. And they got saved. 3,000 got saved. As soon as they got saved, they are so hungry for the word, nobody wants to go back home. Because there is no church anywhere. The only teaching of the word is in Jerusalem. Because all the apostles are in Jerusalem. So what do they do? They stay back. And because they stay back, the other believers of Jerusalem open their homes, open their pockets. That's not enough. They sell their lands bring the money and say, feed them so they can be strong in the word one day and go back and continue spreading this good news. No fear. No fear. Because they knew God was first. God was first. See it this way. God deserves my first because he gave me his best. His first. He deserves my best because he gave me his best. And God gives me much more than I can require. Much more than I need. Much more than I can use. Don't store all this up where Jesus said one day rust and moth will eat. Let me tell you one thing. There's one thing God will not do in my life or your life. One thing he will not do is become Second in my life. That he will not do. 
God will not be second in my life. All these are practical ways in which God can become first. By faith, faith, you need to say, I can. God will not, young children sitting here, God will not become come second to cricket or football. He will not come second to career. He will not come second to studies. And for those who are in the ministry, me, Ma, Elsa, and Pastor Vijay, all of us, he will not come second to ministry. If God is God, he will only come first. He will not come second. I'm not trying to manipulate anybody here. Honestly, like the apostle said, I really want you to prosper in all things, even as you prosper in your soul. But you and I will prosper in our soul only when we keep God first. When Adam and Eve sinned, they put all of us under a curse. When Christ comes, he's setting us free. And he says, I'm taking you out of the curse and putting you not under the tree of knowledge and evil where the curse is. I'm putting you under the tree of life. You can be blessed and be a blessing, but put God first. 2019, put God first. Ask God, show me where you are not first. Everybody's life will be different. Show me where I am not, you are not first in my life. Show me, Lord. I want to change. I want to change. Because if I don't put you first, I will lose eternally. If I put you first, loss here may be temporary, loss or gain. It doesn't matter. I will have you. Whether you are praying, whether you are fasting, whether you are giving. If you don't put God first, you are not humble. If I am not humble, what I miss is grace. What I miss is the power to resist the devil. And everybody sitting here actually have spiritual issues which you are struggling with. Whatever it is. In your heart, decide this first of 2019. The first portion is the Lord's portion. And I will not steal it to the Lord. I'll give it to you by faith. That's why the six days of December and this first day we decided to give us, God, our best. We're going to fast. We're going to pray. We're going to separate. And we are going to give you our best. Because this is the way we want to enter into this year, O Lord. This is just a foretaste of what it we want to be the rest of the year, Lord. Help me to put you first. I'm not giving you to get. I'm giving you because that is what is right. That is why. So when your children are, think about, think about this in modern terms. Let us say, Dr. Richard has a farm. He's a rancher. He's got a farm. And he's got tens and thousands of cattle. And he takes the firstborn of every cow and gives it to God. Firstborn of every sheep and gives it to God. His sons grow up. They go to... ISB, 
They get a management degree and come and say, Dad, this is not how you do your business. You see, the accounts don't tally that because of your... Dad, you're too old-fashioned. This is not how you run business. Let me handle the business. And then you should say, Son, once we were slaves in Egypt, and my God gave his son and redeemed me and you. Therefore, the firstborn belongs to him. This is not business, son. This is life. That's what he told Israel. When your children ask, Dad, crazy dad, the first one is always burnt. What is this, dad? You have to tell them, it is not burnt. It is given over to him. Because he gave over his son for me. If we don't understand salvation, we will not appreciate salvation. If we don't understand the heart of our God, our hearts will never become like God's. Our God has got a big heart. 2019, I'm telling you, change starting today, the 1st of January, start. You already started because you're all here in the beginning of the first day in the house of God. So you're already beginning. Tomorrow is another day. When you wake up, give the first portion to God. Say, Lord, that's why you get a devotion in the morning. You get a devotion in the evening. In the evening. When you hear this Sunday's of this year's promise for this year, you will realize this evening's devotion you got when I looked and said, wow, it goes exactly with what I'm going to say in the night. And Spurgeon spoke that 400 years ago. But God has no time. It's not caught in time. Tomorrow is another day that it will be like today. When you wake up in the morning, the first thing you decide is, Lord, I'm going to give the first part of my day, my time to you. I'm going to give it to you first. Not newspaper, not whether Australia is winning or India is winning. No, Lord, it's you. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to study my word. I'm going to read my devotion. And I want to spend some time with you. And I, Lord, the rest of the day, you will fill it. And through the day, when I get some time, I'm going to redeem it for you. Because your word says, redeem your time. For the days are evil. And Lord, when I feel little complacent, I'm going to fast. I'm going to fasting a regular discipline, but when I'm getting complacent in spite of fasting, I'm going to go on a longer fast. I'm going on a longer fast. Because Lord, I'm not hearing clearly. This morning we told you about Elijah's fast. God said, eat, go to sleep, get up, eat, go to sleep. Now, fast for 40 days. 40 days climbing up, up, up to the same mountain where God had given Moses the law hundreds of years later. And then there was a wind. God was not in it. There was an earthquake. God was not in it. There was a fire. God was not in it. And then God came and said, whisper. If God whispers, will you hear? Will you hear? If you fill your stomach and fill your mind with the things of the world, you will not hear the whisperer, the lover of our soul. He whispers. 
He whispers daily in our spirits, I love you. The thoughts that I have towards you cannot be counted. I have engraved you in the palms of my hand. You always say, if God has a refrigerator on in heaven, it could be the biggest refrigerator ever because every child's picture is there. God says, will you be sensitive this year? And take away those things that take away that sensitivity. Lord, it is about you. Life is about you. Because when you were in heaven and you needed nothing, you were complete in yourself, you created me, I went away, you redeemed me and you looked down and says, for me, life is about you. Then how can I live on earth and look up and say, life is not about you? It's about you. It's about you. God says, that's the third fold that will hold it together. How is your giving? When you pray, don't look, do like the others, the Pharisees. The pagans, he said, go into your secret place and pray. When you do that consistently, when you do that consistently, then you know, God knows, you know, you have put me first. You look down from heaven every day of Jesus' life, early in the morning. Disciples are sleeping. I can see in my mind's eye, Peter is snoring, John is snoring, Thomas is turning around. Going to a place where there is nobody. Abba, my father, I need you. I need you today. If you are not there, I will sin. If I sin, they are lost. I need grace to overcome. Because Hebrews chapter 5 says, when he was in the days of his flesh, with vehement cryings and tears and loud wailing, he cried unto him who could save him from death. And because his reverent submission, he was heard. He put his father first in his life. And God says, can we learn from him? This year, in my praying, in my fasting, in my giving. So that we too can say at the end of our life. We sang that song, no? When that day comes, you'd be able to say like Paul, Lord, my entire life is a drink offering before you. I give you my life. I'm just waiting to come home, Lord. I served you by faith here. I'm just longing to see you face to face. That's our vision. That's what God is calling us. Now as we stop for 10 minutes, I would ask the worship team to come. It's not over yet. This was a message for last year. The message for this year awaits you. So let me have the worship team. Let's worship for a little while. Let's thank God. Come. So bless the Lord, oh my soul. Oh is
Come. 